This is a Stimulus Network podcast. Hello and welcome to The Spooktator. I'm Hayley Stevens, and this is the podcast which examines the stranger elements of life, society, international culture and the media. In this episode, I'll be taking a look back at the afterlife in lockdown, exploring the spooky and, well, not so spooky ghosts that made the headlines while we were all quarantined during the COVID-19 outbreak. For this episode, I also had a chat with Paul Pearson and Janet Walkie from the Lancashire Anomalous Phenomena Investigation Society. Known as LAPIS to many, the organisation are a down-to-earth, pretty rational and decent investigation outfit, so I spoke to Paul and Janet about the group and their research. You can find links to everything discussed in this episode at spooktator.co.uk. Now, without further ado... Hasn't it been a weird year? I'm not talking about spooky weird or paranormal weird, but just weird. Obviously, we've all had to deal with the outbreak of COVID-19, which has been devastating to so many of us. If you're listening to this, I hope you're well. I hope those that you love and care for are well. Personally, I was furloughed from work from March to June and stayed home on 80% pay only venturing out to exercise or to buy groceries. I'm still not used to walking into supermarkets to see everybody wearing a face mask, by the way. It's really uncanny, and it's weird how this has almost become the new normal, and I don't think I want it to be normal. On top of this, there have been some huge instances of injustice around police brutality and systemic racism, mainly in the US, but in the UK too. When I was planning this episode, I wasn't sure whether to touch upon the impact of the Black Lives Matter movement on paranormal communities or not. I then realised that my choice to be silent was my privilege, and so I feel I must mention a thing that happened in June while lockdown was still occurring. Following the white supremacist murder of George Floyd, there was a lot of talk about systemic racism and police brutality and some people in the wider paranormal communities displayed completely misplaced scepticism and called into question whether racism really was systemic. I'm talking about Benjamin Grundy of the Mysterious Universe podcast, who wrote some truly awful things which, as a white man, demonstrated his lack of awareness of his own privilege. In a series of tweets over a number of days, Grundy suggested that the Black Lives Matter movement was part of a Marxist conspiracy. He asked people to, and I quote, give me an example of how society in any Western country favours white people. He also denied the far-reaching effects of slavery still seen today in modern society. It's spectacular to me that a grown man can think that all sorts of outlandish paranormal ideas might be real and have some weight to them and debate them as though they're some intellectual topic, but that racism is where he draws the line when it comes to plausibility. In my experience, paranormal communities and paranormal research communities are largely white. 
so I feel it's really important to acknowledge that black lives matter and that systems of power are skewed against minorities in a way which affects people from birth to death. Many black people also have to deal with other systems of oppression too, from disability discrimination to misogyny, poverty and classism to homophobia. Racism, and people who deny racism, should never be accepted in our communities. And yet they're here. At one point in time, it might have been okay to turn a blind eye to this stuff, but not anymore. I will be including some links to resources about anti-racism on the episode's notes page at spooktator.co.uk. If you need them, they're there. If you're asking what this has to do with paranormal research, then you need them. I plan to kickstart the Spooktator back off by doing what I do best, shit-talking some ghosts. Thing is, during lockdown, the ghost-related headlines became even worse than usual. And fewer, too. Interestingly, as ghost hunting groups were unable to get out and about and do their usual thing, a lot of news outlets suddenly ran out of crap ghost stories to write about. This meant that they had to go through their archives and do these weird little update pieces on past stories they'd written about. I was quite surprised to have at least two of my own cases, which are both over five years old written about for news websites for no reason whatsoever. Devon Live dragged out the sexy ghost of Torquay Museum and the story about a weird photo taken at Tantallon Castle in Scotland was rehashed into a news story too. Edinburgh Live told us that it still remained unsolved to this day, which is weird considering it's been solved three times. Once by Professor Richard Wiseman, again by Ash Price and also by me when I was on holiday nearby. One ghost hunting story that did make the headlines during the lockdown involves a ghost hunter in some haunted woodlands at night, a night vision camcorder, and a ghost on a bike. Or is that a ghost on a ghost bike? Or a ghost person on a ghost bicycle? A ghost cyclist? The Grimsby Live website reported this important development under the headline Paranormal Investigator Catches Ghost on Camera in Popular Woods. They go on to explain how, and I quote, a popular paranormal investigator has caught a ghost on camera in Brocklesby Woods. What's cute here is that the headline says that the woods are popular, and then in the article they say that the paranormal investigator is popular. So really it should have been, popular paranormal investigator catches ghost cyclist on camera in popular woods. Martin Sullivan, 47, recorded an unusual sighting in Brocklesby Woods on a late-night investigation. Martin says he didn't notice the ghostly figure until reviewing the footage after the exploration. He said, you can see a figure on a bike shoot straight past me. They're going at some speed. Mm, That's debatable, Martin, to be honest. He managed to capture this unusual sighting on a live social media stream and is quoted as saying, I didn't notice the person on the bike at the time. Somebody brought it to my attention by saying, something shoots by at five minutes and so many seconds. I thought it was amazing. I have been quite lucky with what I've been able to capture. Oh, bless you, Martin. Bless your little cotton socks. What he's actually caught on camera appears to be some spider web. It looks as though it's moving because the camera is moving. This isn't actually all that uncommon. An episode of the TV show Fact or Faked Paranormal Files 
even once dedicated an episode to a video of a supposed ghost train, which had been caught on camera. To a trained eye, it was immediately obvious that the train was in fact spider's web. I said the word train a lot there. I apologise. In this video, the train, oh I've done it again, the locomotive appeared as though it were moving because the camera was in fact moving towards the spiderweb. We shouldn't be too smug though. It seems obvious upon watching both pieces of footage once you know what they are, but what you have to remember is that in both cases the people supposed to be investigated had accidentally primed themselves to believe the oddity could be paranormal. Martin was in Brocklesby Wood at night to find ghosts and this means that when he saw the video he had already primed himself to chalk it up as paranormal. This is known as top-down processing and it's where we use prior information such as Brocklesby Woods are haunted to make sense of new incoming information such as you've caught a ghost cyclist on camera. In the episode of Fact or Faked they're sort of doing the same thing because they explore the video in the context of it being captured on a ghost hunt and they themselves then do a ghost hunt to see if they can recreate the video rather than just stepping back and asking what else could this have been? I don't know, what a tangled web we weave. The big question that a lot of people have been asking over the last few months is whether or not there has been an increase in paranormal activity reports during lockdown. In early August, The Cut reported that there seemed to be an increase in the number of reported UFO sightings in Canada, Belgium and in the United States. Chris Rutowski, a ufology researcher in Canada, told CTV News, we're looking at increases of about 50% from this time last year, so for some reason people are reporting more UFOs during lockdown. The Cut quotes Nick Pope too, who says, I've heard anecdotal accounts that UFO sightings have risen during the coronavirus pandemic and the associated lockdowns, but have yet to see any definitive data on this. Pope continues, my initial view was that lockdowns would lead to fewer sightings as people were cooped up indoors and thus less likely to notice anything unusual in the sky. Also, given that many sightings turn out to be misidentifications of aircraft and aircraft lights, the downturn in flying activity should have resulted in fewer sightings. The thing is, Nick, that people have windows, so even if they're indoors, they can still see outside where the sky is and aircraft were still up in the sky, as were the planets and the satellites people often mistake for UFOs too. And although I know a lot of people were staying inside, a lot of people were also taking the chance to chill out in their gardens, and had more time to look up at the skies and hope beyond hope that something would come to take them away from this god-forsaken planet. This, coupled with the fact that there has been a lot of news coverage of UFOs in recent months, because of the disclosure happening in the US Armed Forces, means that I wouldn't be surprised if more people reported UFOs than before. Anecdotally, in the months that followed the UK government announcing lockdown measures, I received a number of emails from people about weird spooky things that they had experienced, more than I would normally receive in that same time frame. I know from discussions that I'm not the only paranormal researcher to experience this spike in reports. There are a number of things to consider here. Firstly, 
It strikes me that the people reporting paranormal activity increases during the pandemic are largely people who already believe in ghosts or already believe their homes to be haunted by ghosts. As such, these individuals are likely to interpret everyday occurrences as spooky and significant. Not only this, but lockdown exposed people to varying levels of stress that we wouldn't normally have to deal with. Suddenly, a trip to the shop to get milk could be a matter of life and death, depending on the social distancing habits of those around us. And not just for us, for the people we come into contact with too, like our families. There is some evidence to suggest that disruption to psychological processes, psychological stress, perceptions of danger, or a lack of change in a person's environments, such as being stuck at home, may cause changes in cognitive processes, and due to the sudden lack of external stimuli, people start to focus more within themselves, instead as a coping mechanism. This, it is suggested, can lead to sensed presences around us. There is also a chance that the apparent increase in paranormal activity reports are a result of the availability heuristic. A heuristic is a type of mental shortcut that we use to efficiently make sense of incoming information, but which can lead to judgment errors. The availability heuristic specifically refers to how people judge the frequency or likelihood of something based on how available to them examples of it are. I think it's possible that it might seem as though there has been an increase in reports of paranormal activity because other people are talking about paranormal activity more and the people who are doing this tend to be people who already believe in the paranormal. I recently spoke to Paul and Janet from the Lancashire Anomalous Phenomena Investigation Society to find out some more about the organisation, what they get up to, the sorts of cases that get reported to them and their conference that they hold every year. I began by asking them how Lapis came to be in the first place. Uh, the group started back in 1986 and it was started by a lady called Hazel Shanley. I never actually met her and I believe the first conference was soon after that that we can't find out the exact year. We think the first conference had Tim Good, who is quite well known still as a speaker, Timothy Good, and Graham and Mark Birdsell as speakers and the group We've just been talking about it has continued to meet since that time, since 1986, without a break, other than in the last few months we're locked down and we have then been meeting online. So it's probably, I think, a good contender for the longest existing group of its nature in the UK. And what does Lapis do? So what is the purpose of the organisation? It's mainly a social group of a wide variety of people that get together who have some form of interest in the paranormal and to sit around and chat about it. Do people get in touch with you about weird things they've experienced and you investigate them? Does that happen often? Uh, we've had a few cases where people have uh, approached us. We, we also pick up on things in on social media and in the local press. And when we have time, 
try and find some kind of logical explanation for them. Okay, so how did you both come to be involved in Lapis? I first joined the group back in 1996. I, I'd been reading about mainly about UFOs, really. I'd found some books by chance in the library. And then I, I saw Nick Pope on Newsnight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's all his fault. I'd, so I'd read a little bit and then I saw a, a conference organised locally by a group called Lapis, went along, then started going to the meetings and the rest is history, really. And I, I, I knew of Lapis uh, having, having seen adverts for the conferences and things, but uh, I I got chatting to, to John, who was one of the people who ran Lapis in 2007, and uh, he invited me along to a, a wild camp on the moors near Skipton to Skywatch. I, I agreed to go and have a meal with the uh, the Lapis crew and see just how mad they were. <laughs> they, they were mad enough that I ended up camping and uh, and never left since. Left the organisation. You did leave the camp, didn't you? <laughs> Not <Yeah>. still there. <laughs> Originally, the AMP in the acronym stood for Aerial Phenomena, but that has changed in more recent years to Anomalous Phenomena instead. What is it that prompted this change? We changed it because the group had always been interested in anything weird. I mean, if it was the poltergeist case, time slips, anything bizarre. And really, Ariel didn't fit it. We weren't going to not investigate something just because it wasn't flying around. So Anomalous, it works for the acronym, which is quite nice, and everyone remembers Lapis. So we became Anomalous rather than Ariel. Could you maybe talk about some of the cases that you've investigated over the years yeah right the high bentham case which it was quite well known the people involved never wanted a lot of publicity which is probably why it isn't more well known it was in the early noughties i think it's 2005 it's a grandmother you know she was in her 60s a mother and two teenage children driving in north yorkshire near ingleton and they saw a bright light while they were, it was January, it was dark, uh, flying over the car. And then they had what appeared to be, it turned out, appeared to be missing time. And four witnesses, all, I mean, the youngest lad was only nine at the time, but all agreeing with each other. And they eventually went on, they did a TV programme, somewhat against our advice, called The Real 4400s, which is still available. And we kept in touch with them. They had all sorts of weird things that seemed to carry on from it. I mean, the two little boys described the light as giving them this sense of love and they wanted to go away with it, which is quite weird, really. And then they did another documentary in 2013 with Sean Ryder, sort of revisiting it all. Oh, yeah, I remember that documentary. Yeah, that was quite a biggie. And the very, I mean, knowing the family, the very credible family, ordinary people not particularly into that kind of thing. And more recently, we've also taken some of the newer members of Lapis, uh, including me, because I wasn't around at the time of the High Bentham incident, uh, where we've been back and uh, camped nearby and and re-driven the, uh, the routes, sort of re- and tried to relive the experience. But uh, unfortunately, no strange lights in the sky. And do you have any more recent cases that you can talk about? I've I had one really not particularly interesting one, but it was uh, reported uh, in Blackburn, near where I live, that somebody reported in the local newspaper and on Facebook that uh, somebody had seen strange lights in the sky. And I checked with the uh, sort of flight radar type apps 
see if I could see any aircraft in, in the vicinity at the time. And it was only, I, I just happened at work the, the day after to talk about it. And somebody mentioned a, a quite a serious road accident that had occurred, which when I looked into it, the police helicopter had been there. So oh. I contacted the uh, uh, National Police Air Service for confirmation. And they confirmed that, that the police helicopter had definitely been in that area at the time. And it was low cloud. So the chances are that uh, what what was seen was the, the police helicopter operating in with cloud above it, reflecting lights. Do you think, with the cases that you've had reported to you and, I guess, stuff that you've read about in the media and so on, do you think that more often than not the causes for the things that people report um, are things like that, things that can be sort of just explained through everyday explanations or would you say you have more cases that you can't explain than those that you can explain most of the most things that come up in social media in the press tend to be misidentifications or, or quite fe- quite quite probably misidentifications i'd never rule out that there might be something unusual but most of the time I think that uh, they are misidentifications of something. Some of the more historical cases that have been reported to us are people sort of wanting to get it off the chest because they've seen something quite a long time ago. Yeah. For fear of ridicule, didn't want to report it at the time, but but just want to to tell somebody about it. And they are much harder to explain because you've no chance of any kind of on the ground investigation. As investigators and as an organisation, do you have a certain way that you investigate things that get reported to you? And how do you try and remain objective when you're researching a case? I think it's important to treat each case as an individual because the people reporting to you are individual each time. There isn't a one-size-fits-all way of doing it. I mean, I think it's important to let the witness tell their story because it's so easy to lead people. It just is so easy to let them tell you what they want to tell you and then ask questions after that. And as Paul says, some people just want to not be laughed at. And that's we never see them again after that. I think you ask the questions afterwards. And if, it, if it's something is solvable as well, I think it, we always stress to people that, that doesn't, it's not something foolish on their part for having misidentified something. It's easily done. We've all done it. I once drove following an air, sh- like a blimp, an advertising blimp, because I didn't know what it was. We've all done something like that, and misidentifying something isn't silly. It's it's easily done. I suppose it's it's kind of human nature, isn't it? Really, that's it. Everybody wants to see something strange, really. And when you do, it's easy to get carried away. Especially, I mean, all the people who've been seeing things in recent months when they've been looking out for the Starlink satellites. A lot of people have seen things and thought they were stranger than they were I'm sure. That actually leads really nicely onto something else I was going to ask because some researchers have gone on record to say that during lockdown to stem the spread of COVID-19 more UFOs were reported in the skies by the public. Do you think that's linked to anything in particular? Um, I know the person in the article that I'm thinking of they suggested it was because of the disclosure happening in America so um, certain videos being made public that show unidentified flying objects and so on. Do you think that might influence people or is there something else that could be influencing them at this time? I think that uh, the more that appears in the media, the more people are going to be thinking about UFOs rather than, for example, aeronautical or atmospherical phenomena. 
But I think in the last few months, the overriding factor has been people sat in the gardens, having a glass of wine, relaxing, because they've been furloughed and have been able to sit outside and look at the sky that they may never have even thought to do that before. Have you guys seen an increase in reports to you? We've not actually had a lot of reports during lockdown, which is strange, really. But, I mean, we've seen a lot, as you say, in the media, but we've not really had anything reported to us, to be honest, throughout the whole time. So I don't know why, because we're, we're there as much as we're ever there on Facebook. We've got the website still. So, in fact, we have had a couple of emails. We've had a few emails recently, but not really reporting UFOs, more people reporting things they believe are happening to them. Oh, okay. That's interesting. So sort of like abduction type stuff or? It's difficult because we've, we've, uh, the number of times you respond to somebody and then you never hear again, we find. Because we had an email quite recently with someone giving the very bare bones of some strange activity happening in a family member's home. And I simply replied and said, you know, if we're going to investigate, we'll have to know more. And we also need the permission of that family member if it's their property. Yeah, yet, I've not heard a peep. <laughs> so it's, I would like it to come back. It might be interesting, but as yet, I don't know. It's whether people think we can just do it in a very. You've got to get the information first. Yeah, exactly. And I do think some people want to be told it's something paranormal. Also, I just from a personal sort of perspective with my blog and everything, I think a lot of people. I find sometimes we'll just fill out the contact form on my blog just because they want to tell somebody what happened to them. And and then once it's there, they don't really care if I reply or not. I don't hear back from them as well. They just, they've got it out, they've told somebody and it's like a, a weight off their shoulders sort of thing. Yeah, I think that's true. I'm sure people do that. They just want to tell somebody who won't laugh at them. What is the weirdest thing that you guys have experienced Maybe on an investigation or off an investigation. Last year we went investigating big cats in the northeast, and we were with a group of people who were we're not particularly nervous in the dark. We go out in the dark looking for things quite a lot. And we got into one particular area of woodland and it was horrible. It was so scary and so spooky. And we were all terrified. It was bizarre. The more you look back on it, the most strange it was. There were people there who were used to being outside more than we were. And it was just in that one particular area. It was so unpleasant. There were five of us there, at least one of the, one of whom is farmer. So very used to being out on farmland in the dark. And we're, we're all used to being in odd places, spooky places. And this was just a plantation but there was there was something very different between the plantation that we were in and the woods that we'd walked through to get there. So walking through the woods at midnight was fine, but standing in the conifer plantation was a totally different feeling. As in, like an oppressive feeling or an on edge feeling? Well, I know I know we'd been we'd obviously been discussing big cat sightings that that night we'd we'd had a barbecue with a number of witnesses from that local area but i don't feel that we were scared of some kind of predator coming out of the trees the weirdest thing about it i think is that we couldn't specify what it was we were scared of oh okay so just like a general unease yeah it was really oppressive i mean it was to the point where a hedgehog 
trampling through the bushes made uh, a couple of us leap out of our chairs. I was sort of hoping you would mention the hedgehog, to be honest. That was where that, that's why I asked that question in the first place. I was really hoping that story would come up. <laughs> I think, yeah, I was told that story last year. So I was like, I'm going to try and get that one out with them. Hedgehogs uh, sound a lot bigger than they are. They do. They are really loud. Yeah. We also thought, I don't know if it was accurate, but it sounded as if the sheep were bleating in kind of as if something was moving through. We kind of heard them bleating and then the sort of sheep noises seemed to almost encircle us, which was quite nerve-wracking. And then the, the morning after when we woke up, somebody had reported on Facebook, uh, one of the Facebook groups, a big cat sighting about half a mile away from where we were camping. Oh dear. Do you think there was a big cat in that area? Or do you think it was, you know, people the, through the power of suggestion thinking big cat when they saw big dog? Or did you ever find a conclusion to what you were investigating? No, it, it's an ongoing investigation. We, we, we were planning to go back, but unfortunately uh, we got held up with COVID this year. Yeah. I think the the majority of big cat sightings people tend to say it looked like a large labrador a large black labrador uh, or the size of a large black labrador and i think that gives you a clue as to what they may actually have seen <laughs> yeah it just reminds me actually speaking of big cats last year when i was up in lancashire for your conference you and i were driving around sort of the pendle hill area paul and we remember we pulled into that lay-by so that you could show me like the the shape of the hill and everything it was pitch black but we stepped out of the car and you were showing me the landscape and then we got back in the car and as you started the engine up the front car sensors went off as though there was something in front of the car and you and I both freaked out a little bit it quite often it is just mind over matter really isn't it uh, yeah we, we still don't know what that was though no maybe it was a hedgehog <laughs> it, it could have been but like we but we were stood outside for five minutes and didn't hear anything move no when we got back into the car the proximity sensors on the front bumper went off yeah and there was nothing in front of the car nothing that we could see no nothing that we could see (laughs) speaking of the conference so obviously i spoke at last year's conference had an absolute blast there's actually going to be a conference this year too isn't there could you give us some details about what's going to be happening yeah, we, it's been a bit of a huge decision going ahead this year because obviously things have been really uncertain. We're lucky in that we have a really huge venue, as you know, it's a really big sports hall. Yeah. So with limited numbers, it's going to be possible to do it really safely. In fact, I'm going down to speak to the venue tomorrow just to clarify things. So we are limited on tickets and this year we have to sell all the tickets in advance so the venue can set up. So... We really need people who want to come to get the tickets. But we've got eight speakers again. We've got some new speakers for Lapis. We've got a lady called Melanie Warren, and she's talking about the devil in Lancashire's folklore, which should be pretty good. We've got Dave Hodrian from Birmingham UFO Group doing a UFO talk. We've got Steve Jones talking. This is quite an interesting talk. He's talking about haunted bathrooms. Brilliant. Which is, yeah, that's a really unique talk. I've actually got, like, I think two anecdotes that I could probably send to him that he might find useful. Oh, I think he wants them, yeah. Okay, I'll keep that in mind. I'll make a note of that. 
So yeah, we've we've got Anne, uh, Dr. Anne Winsper talking about the ghosts of Chester. We've got another local Lancashire talk by Simon Entwistle, who is he does ghost tours. He's really really good storyteller, and he's talking about Lancashire's witches and ghostly tales. On top of that, we've got some Lapis regulars. We've got Richard Freeman, Jackie Tonks, Rob Whitehead. So it's quite a mixed bag. And I think we're going to be one of the conferences, possibly the conference in 2020. Lapis Conference takes place over the weekend of the 17th and 18th of October in St Anne's in Lancashire. Tickets start at £25 and can be purchased in advance at lapisparanormal.com. L-A-P-I-S paranormal.com. Also worth mention is the fact that Weird Weekend North is returning in 2021. Weird Weekend North is a must for anybody interested in ghosts, the 14, fairies, folklore, cryptozoology and similar. The conference was cancelled this year, but will be back next year on the 10th and 11th of April 2021. Check weirdweekendnorth.com for more details as they become available. So, this has been another episode of The Spooktator. Remember, you can find links to everything discussed at spooktator.co.uk. You can listen to the show on all good podcasting apps, including Spotify. Thank you to everyone who's left a review for the podcast, by the way. It really does help the show find new audiences. Also, thank you to all of those who got in touch during lockdown or in more recent weeks to check when the next episode will be coming out. It's honestly really nice to feel loved, guys. As a thank you, I'm going to be recording a listener's questions episode. So if you have a question about the show the paranormal in general, a past episode, my thoughts on a spooky or weird topic, whatever it is, then get in touch. You can email your questions to spooktator at gmail.com. You can send a tweet to at spooktator or you can visit the Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash spooktator and leave a comment there. I will try and answer as many questions as possible, so please do send them in. Until then, remember... Spooky is in the eye of the beholder.